From the iHeartRadio studios in New York City, come two diehard fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else in their distorted minds, it's Brando and Scotto. And this is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast. I still love the intro. I made, I did that thing. It is nice. Yes, episode 29 for Appetite for Distortion. My name is Brando. With me today is uh, one of our bad apples. John Miller. I'm a proud bad apple. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to call the the frequent guests on this show, I guess. You know, Opie and Anthony had their their pests. Uh, Gaga has a little monsters. We have our bad apples. I like my sound effects. I'm back in the uh, the iHeart Radio studios in, uh, in Tribeca because the last episode, we had to go down to Midtown to interview uh, Corey and Paolo for Trivium. Mm. And just side note, because nobody gives a shit, that was the week that the United Nations was in, in the city and our orange president was in the city as well. <laughs> Blocked fucking off everything. Just for me to get to Tribeca to Midtown took me you know, like an hour and a half. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I was driving back from, uh, I was driving from, from upstate and had to take the, uh, the Hudson down and it was, traffic was, oh, it was c- gross. completely screwed up. Oh, no, it was gross. The, the only caveat of the whole thing is when I left the Trivium interview, this super hot redhead cop let me, like, she let me pass and cross over. I don't know why, maybe. That's the redhead cops. Yeah, I guess so. So uh, Ian actually today is, as we're recording our 29th episode, October 1st, is recording another episode of his uh, military special operations podcast, Sofrep. So that's what he is doing now, so Sofrep. Dot com, but he's going to miss out on a great interview yeah. with uh, with Alan, who we're going to get to in a second. You could say hi if you want. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> we'll get to you in a second. But speaking of all, all the buttons I like to push, uh, at the beginning of each episode, I try to, I guess, bullet point certain news or b- things that have happened or thank yous. Mm. Uh, so I'm going to call this the segment now. Uh, you know, is it like Shotgun Blues? Shotgun News? Okay. News. <laughs> 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 You've had some fun. I did. I, I'm on uh, medication. So, um, well, well, I guess first things first, so I don't forget, is that I want to thank uh, Chris from ColourPop. Uh, he sent me, uh, us, Ian and I, these two like awesome just pins. You know, I have one of them in my denim jacket now because I'm a wannabe Hot Topic person still. Uh, but he sent a couple pins because he makes them of Axel's, you know, red high top. With you know the axle on the tongue mm-hmm. of it and uh, converse, no, yeah, yeah, and also a, a milk carton with the missing uh, the Izzy missing. Uh, and I think it's cool he didn't use the old "Where's Izzy?" No, no, it just implies it because it's <laughs> a it's a milk carton. So if you want to, you know, buy those, we did put them on our Twitter and our Facebook. But Chris's uh, the collar pop Instagram is collar uh, underscore pop, or if you want to go to collar pop mfg.com so we're not making money yet on this uh on this podcast but we're getting pins we're almost there um again i also want to thank trivium everybody who's listened and have jumped on the board this podcast night train we're trying to get new fans and listeners every episode so uh diverse amount of guests we uh so i appreciate that and just a couple other things i want to um 
uh, just get to. Uh, we a lot of these in these days that we do on social media. I I, I look a lot at here today gone to hell, which mm-hmm. is actually fantastic. And they break it down. Hey, October tenth, nineteen ninety one, this happened. So uh, we did something about the L.A. Coliseum back in '92 when guns play with Motorhead, and I tagged all the people in the picture, and Duff liked the tweet, so that made me very special. So he noticed, uh, and also just want to say uh, well wishes to uh, Josh Freeze, his son rather. Right. Of course, Josh Freeze was one of the drummers in the uh, Chinese Democracy uh, recordings, tapings. Mm-hmm. So his son, he just, I guess he just announced it. Uh, his ten-year-old son has epilepsy. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about a fundraiser that's going to happen, I believe, in November. So if you want to go, to, it's on our Facebook and our, our Twitter. We we shared it. But if you want to go to Josh Freeze's, you know, his social media, it's on his Instagram as well. And uh, one last uh, part of the shotgun news will be uh, Vicky Cornell, who tweeted all of Guns N' Roses thanking them for covering uh, Soundgarden for Black Hole oh, Sun yeah. in Rock and Rio. I mean, they've been doing it for quite a while, ever since his passing. They're the only band that's kept it in their set. Mm-hmm. And so she sent out a tweet, so that I thought that was very nice. So that was Shotgun News. <laughs> news. We're going to see if Ian likes that when he comes back. So anyway, uh, today, John, you, you've become such an awesome person, uh, you know, in addition to just being the bad apple. I'm not going to play the soundbite this time. Mm-hmm. But just becoming a friend of the show and same thing. You know, uh, with Art Tavana and just a lot of people who've introduced us to new people. Hey, you should get this person on. You should get that person on. And this uh, Guns N' Roses universe has just gotten bigger and bigger. So standing, or I should say sitting next to me right now, is, uh, I want to get it right, Alan St. Lesa? Santa Lesa. Santa Lesa. Yeah. So Italian? Uh, no, Irish. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I almost felt really dumb right now. Oh, Italian, yes. Okay, so you were born in uh, in Italy? No, I was born in Santa Monica, California, and when I was 10 months old, my parents split, and um, I was sent to live with my paternal grandparents in Italy, in Trieste. Okay, all right. Yes. So you, did you... Uh, is Trump going to deport you? Or are you officially an American citizen? Oh, I'm an American citizen. Okay. <laughs> he, se- he secured that yeah. <laughs> pre-election. So, so a lot of things uh, I'm learning about since I've been doing this podcast, and, and Nina and I, we said we're not you know, know-it-alls. We just happen to be fans who just happen to know a lot. Uh, that I never heard, and, and no offense, uh, Alan, of the band Shire before. Now, many I, people have not. <laughs> I'd like to think so that I know those those obscure bands, though, but I didn't know about Shire, and John's been telling me about them for, mm-hmm. for quite a while, and what the Guns N' Roses connection is, mm-hmm. and that would be Izzy Stradlin, correct? That's right. So kind of take, uh, well, first, before we get into that, and that's mm-hmm. the connection, I want to know more about you. So you were born in California, Italy. You know, uh, how did you get involved in the rock scene? What are your influences? I wanted to kind of character build Alan a little um, bit. I started to play in 1978 in Italy, um, and I wanted to play guitar seriously, and my dad was just living in California. So the next year, I got my guitar, and I just came here, um, supposedly just for a vacation. My intention was to stay here permanently. And uh, once I got here, I, I just stayed here. I, I started to play seriously. And um, it took me a couple of years, because at 14, you know, you're kind of young, but it took me a couple of years to get it going. And it was until uh, 1981, when I was almost 16, that I started playing seriously. That's pretty young. Yeah. That, so 
But you, when I was 14, 16, I think I was still spending my bar mitzvah money. <laughs> so, like, why did you want to be, like, a rock star? Like, what, what, was it your dad's influence? Did you see uh, something on TV, on the radio? Well, that, that thing you mentioned to me about the um, the Kiss guys. Well, this was All right, interesting. And John's helping because you guys apparently yeah, we pa- talked uh, before. Yeah. You painted the town red last night or something <laughs> like that? Two nights ago. Yeah. Oh, two nights ago. Okay. Um, it was into, I, I was always into music because my aunt was used to play me classical music. Uh, and um, I liked pop bands you know this is gonna ruin my heavy metal credibility but to be honest I love the Swedish band ABBA okay and I love the Bee Gees always I like the Bee Gees too they're awesome songs you know so I always like that big choruses harmonies and pop Um, and um, eventually these two schoolmates of mine approached me and they said uh, we want you to write down listen to these cassettes and write down these lyrics in English because they knew I could speak English well okay um, this was two kiss records love gun and destroyer so I to, to sort of impress them I sat down with a cassette recorder and fast forward and whined a lot for three days I jotted down a bunch of lyrics and at first I, when I first heard it I thought man this is the worst thing I've ever heard this <laughs> screaming it gave me a headache uh, but Gene I've, Simmons will do that sometimes or Paul you know the you know, <laughs> a live one it's all screams so I listened to that a lot it, after three days it kind of rubbed off of me and I was like this is cool this is pretty hmm. good and so they were, it turned out that they were starting a band and they wanted to have the lyrics so they could sing. And I started playing with them. And by playing, I mean, we, we had guitars, but we had no amps and we had no place to rehearse. So we were kind of an imaginary band that went around. We grew our hair and said, told people that we were a band, <laughs> which in Italy translated a lot of beatings and chasing after school. Okay. Because at the time, there were, you know, if you were an athlete in school, you'd be popular. But a, a long hair, skinny musician guy was not popular okay. at all. Okay. Okay. Sure. So... We were this pretend band and listened obsessively to Kiss and Aerosmith, David Bowie, all, all that stuff. And um, I always thought my dad's in California. He's going to help me out. So the next year, like I said, I packed my bags and took my guitar and went and came here. Okay. So that was the beginning of how I got into music. At 15? 14. Oh, okay. I mean, that's pretty incredible. So then how, I mean, I don't want to miss any part of your story. Then take us to the beginning of Shire. And and Izzy, how did that? Did anything important happen before then? Like, what was um, the? Yeah, I, I guess was what, allowed what by my steps? father to go to nightclubs. There were some that were like, you don't have to be twenty-one. You know, like the Starwood in Hollywood was an awesome place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was allowed. I lived far away, but I would walk across town in L.A. in the middle of the night to get to these clubs and then back. Um, I saw a lot of bands there. So London which was a band that featured Nicky Six yeah. before he had Molly Crew, and I, I followed them around a lot. I even taped them one time with a tape recorder and had this recording of them. I don't have it anymore. Oh, I was about to ask that. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> awesome. They, this band really influenced me. Um, and I saw other bands, like Snow was a band that featured Carlos Cavazza from Quiet Riot. I saw that. Okay. Um, I saw Blackhawk, Arkansas, uh, play a, a gig okay. there. A lot of influence, a lot of new wave bands, so everything. I was influenced by everything. Was the strip, I mean, before you continue, was the strip, like, coming from Italy, did you hear about the strip before? Because I guess, wasn't that always the tale about just America in general, how the streets are paved with gold? And I don't know if there was any sort of allure or mystique to the Sunset Strip before you actually went there. Uh, I didn't know about it. I um, 
I used to go to the Troubadour, which is on Santa Monica Boulevard. It's not really the Strip. And I used to go to Starwood, also on Santa Monica okay. Boulevard. Not the Strip. I never, early on, I never went to the Whiskey or um, there was no Viper. It was called the Central. Okay. Um, well, what before, else? The before, Rainbow. I, I would go outside of the Rainbow. I was not allowed to go in, you know, hoping okay. that some girl would pick me up or something. <laughs> but uh, With um, an accent, you had a good chance. There were some times that when <laughs> things went quite well. Well, other than your father, I mean, um, how did you know that L- going to L.A. would be the place if you wanted to be a musician? Like, how, how had you heard about it in Italy as, it, as right? As, that's as, that's as, kind of like a target. It way just, of I didn't, I didn't know anything about it except that my father lived there, and I thought mm. he knew people, um, and you know, I thought he would help me. Or so it's just like a coincidence. It was a coincidence, yeah. Uh, just because, you know, <laughs> sometimes you move somewhere because you know someone, and he's my dad, so I figure he's going to oh, yeah. take care of me, you know? He just happens to be in L.A. It to be in Wisconsin, you know? Right. Yeah, it was it was meant to be. Okay. Yeah. One other detail about him, his mother happens to be from Indiana. Yes. Oh, okay. I went there first. I, I went there for three months, and it was awesome because as soon as I got there, my mother said, I got your tickets to see ACDC. And then the next month, I got you tickets to see Kiss. And she would buy these concert tickets at Sears. They were like $5. At Sears? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. And yeah, yeah. It was weird. I, I saved them for a while. Now I lost them. But, Stop um, losing things. I know. I, know, I lost <laughs> a lot of stuff. But um, I saw Queen. I saw oh Kiss, Aerosmith, Blue Eyes, they're called them, Black Sabbath. Uh, who else? Ted Nugent, Scorpions, ACD. I saw everybody in, in the course of three months. And um, I, I when I... Became kind of acquainted with Axl Rose. We turned out we were at the same concerts in 1980. Okay. Wow. Like, Did you see ACDC back in Black Tour? Yeah, I was there. Did you see Aerosmith for Christmas? Yeah, I was there too. And, <laughs> and there was this arena called Market Square, uh, Market Square Arena. It was like Madison Square Garden. Okay. Downtown Indiana and uh, Indianapolis. And um, the first time I went there, I, from being from Italy, I, I imagine that. Uh, rock bands would perform in like uh, movie theaters or small theaters. Hmm. When I first walked into the arena, it was all like ants everywhere, people everywhere. And when the band started, it seemed like a like a Nazi rally, you know, or something. <laughs> they were hypnotized by this. Okay. It was like politics or something. I was like, my God, I had not imagined. And it, I was like, I, I want to do this. I want to do this too. Not you a know? Nazi rally, but... No, no, hell no. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. But you know what I mean when there's a bunch of people and they're oh, all with fists in the air? Oh, I, absolutely. I didn't have a clue. I didn't see any... I didn't. I saw, you know, the movie The Song Remain the Same by Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. but they didn't yeah. pan on the audience too much. So I didn't have a clue how many people actually attended this thing, like thousands, like 10,000 people or more. You know, that's a lot. What about, and this has dawned on me, uh, the Maloik? Because that started with Dio's grandmother, which is an Italian thing, right? Malachia? I'm no, I'm just pronouncing it right. The horns. The horns. Yeah. So he start, So did you come in when, when that started to be integrated with rock and roll? Because that was just to keep evil eye away. I don't. Because that's that's like you know instead of the. But didn't that come from like a a pope was doing this or like there was a couple different symbols and. And well, the one that well, the one that Gene Simmons tried to yeah, trademark exactly. has yeah. the thumb out, and that kind of means oh. I love you. Right. But what Dio had just said is that you no know, talks in the thumb, and instead of just pointing it out, which his grandma used to do, and keep <laughs> evil away, uh, he just put it up and just made it 
devil horns. So I'm just asking because you're Italian and, you know, instead of putting your, your hand up, like hailing a cab or hailing a Nazi or whatever, they're all just metal <laughs> horns up. And you're just like, oh, I'm familiar with that. Again, just a random thought of I didn't see much of the horns. I, they were just putting their fists up. Okay. And people, they were smoking weed and people were passing out on quailers, throwing up. And I was like, oh, they, I feel like I'm in ancient Rome or something. <laughs> now they're going to set the place on fire and play their harps, <laughs> you know? It. Very That's awesome. So then you did you cross paths with Axel and Izzy when you were in Indiana or no. L.A.? Okay. Uh, I, I didn't meet them until 1982. Okay. So take us, uh, you know, a few steps back because I, I believe I, I, I have like kind of Tourette's where I just have random thoughts that come no, up. No, no problem. So uh, just so take us to where you, when you were out in L.A., you, you thought that was the place because, you know, your dad could help you. He let you go to nightclubs. Yes. So then take us from there. Um. When I was, uh, it turned to be 1981, I was almost 16, um, he got, he was like, you have to go back to, you got to go to school, you're just going to clubs all the time, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta, and I was like, no way, I'm going back. So we got in a fight, and I, I just took off, and here I was in the streets with this other kid that, he was a couple of years older than me, and we were just on the streets all the time. And uh, we had an ad in this magazine that that's going to come up a lot. I'm sure you heard of it. Uh, the Recycler. Yeah. was a trade paper where you could put ads in if you need a job or sell a car. There was a uh, musician wanted, a musician available. We put an ad for a singer, and the singer, future singer of Shire, David, answered it. And uh, okay. I, this was March of 1981, and I went over to his house and met him. Okay. Yeah. That was the beginning of my professional music career. Okay, cool. With Shire. This is how I how I learned. I mean, I, I had seen Shire listed at, in a, a bunch of different book, GNR books, but it's just just listed, like, you know, as he was in the band Shire and, and right. Naughty Women. And, so, and um, so when I was, when I was uh, referred to Michael Jagos, who was the brother of David, who he just mentioned, um, uh, that was through Rob Gardner, the first... GNR drummer. Right. So I'm hearing about, and so all of a sudden I heard Jagos Jagos. I'm like, are these, he didn't say they were brothers. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, this, uh, that name sounds familiar. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're the brothers. Okay. So uh, I, I, communi- I I got in touch with Michael Jagos. I go out to, to LA and we meet up at the Rainbow. He invites me to this house um, where his mother still lives. And uh, he leads me to the backyard into this studio which is like a little garage opens the door up and there's a banner still hanging on the wall that says shire <laughs> and it's got you know aluminum foil stars and and, and this this it, it's like a storage room now and so um I, I start to learn from the mom that this this is where both the, the bands rehearsed the pyrus ellie guns and shire and that well i was told axel and izzy both lived in this little garage okay so I'm thinking, for me, I, 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 you know, it's a little bit weird being where we are in the city, but I called it ground zero of Guns N' Roses. Yeah, sure. That everyone sort of converged there, and it sort of blossomed out. And, uh, and that word had another meaning of this before. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. I know what you mean. And, um, <laughs> and so then I just started doing more, you know, look, looking looking up, and uh, I came across Alan's name, and um, he was, he's the lead guitarist of Shire. and. Yeah. So anyway, I, I had to I had to build up the picture. Like you just have to go into this backyard, which still exists. It's right there, timeless. You read Raz Q's book, um, and it's he talks about the exact same space. Yeah. So. No, I learned a lot from Raz. And if you're a new listener, definitely listen to the episode with uh with Raz Q. Did do you know uh, Raz? You... I I remember him from the '80s. Okay. I totally remember him. 
it's just it's, it's, I don't know if it's amazing, more amazing that you all know each other or you all remember. You know, because I mean, what are they? I didn't know what uh, David Lee Roth said. Like, uh, you know, if you remember the '80s, you weren't doing it right, or something right. like that. Or when when I die, sprinkle my ashes over the '80s, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Well, I, I never really indulge much in you know partying, drugs, alcohol. Just just enough. Okay. But I I remember stuff. People are like, how do you remember? This? I mean, I actually went to school. And I couldn't pay attention. Remember anything on my homework? But I remember these facts because I was there, and I just remember everything. Sure. Yeah. All right, so then uh, you and so you put out the ad in the recycler. Yes, and then you met. So then t- take us from there. How did like was it just was there a band to begin with, or was it just people? And there was no. It was a nameless band. It was. It was just um, the guitarist that um, um, I was playing with uh, didn't end up working out. But we remember we had a rehearsal, and Rob Gardner, who was uh, eventually in Pyrus and Guns N' Roses, mm-hmm. was going to be the drummer. He was 15. He was there. I met him. Um, next door to this, um, to Dave's parent, David, the singer of Shire, um, lived an actor from the um, TV series Knott's Landing. I don't okay. know if people remember the Ted Shackelford. His, he had a rehearsal studio in, in his, um, in his uh, backyard. And he said, you can use it. So we used that. But they said, don't play too loud and don't go over this certain time. So obviously we played too loud and we went over <laughs> this certain time. So he's like, you guys blew it. And that was the one time. But I remember this uh, kid named Robbie, the guitarist was there. Rob Gardner was there, Dave and me. And we started playing. We were playing UFO covers, something just, just to see what it would sound like. Mm-hmm. And um, so... Uh, Rob didn't work out. Uh, uh, Rob Gardner played great, but for some reason, I think he was going to play with his friends, you know, in Paris, you know, Tracy Ulrich and uh, Danny Tall. He he continued to do that. It was just David and I. Okay. And the plan was, we'll find some hotshot guitar player that can write songs. I was playing bass at the time. Um, and we will build a band around this hotshot guitar player. Um, it took a whole year of 1981 we auditioned everybody from the recycler. Um, there was a big heavy metal scene in the South Bay, like places like Torrance or down the beach. We would drive out there or people would drive out to see us in the garage. We didn't like anybody. No, nothing worked out. And because we were like 16, people thought they could come over and, and tell us what to do. you know. And we were like, no way. I mean, we're <laughs> writing the songs, man. We are, we are the band and you have to learn and we're not learning anything. Mm. So we couldn't find anybody. There was this one kid uh, that was awesome on the guitar. We recorded a cassette in the garage with him. We used it eventually as a demo, even though it was just a live cassette. He played great, but was not interested uh, to join a band full-time. But he was awesome. So we're like, we can't get anybody else better than this guy, and he's not interested. Uh, So at the beginning of 1982, David said to me, you're going to play guitar. We started writing songs together, and we were writing a, a lot of songs, and it was sounding good. Um... Uh... He said, so you're going to play guitar. So I switched to guitar. Uh, we, again, to the recycler, we found uh, another guitar player, drummer, and a bass player from the South Bay, and decided we booked a show at uh, Hollywood High School Battle of the Bands. Okay. And that was the first Shire show. I wish uh, there was a cassette of it, and I you lo- lost it. loaned it to somebody who never got it back. Uh, you got to get like a safe for a uh, storage This was before facility. the internet. This was before the internet. <laughs> who, was on, who was on bass then? Um, I don't remember his name. Some tall guy from the from the South Bay. He eventually was too lazy to drive out, and he he petered out. 
Um, the other two guys uh, were good, but they didn't like the fact that Dave and I were so adamant about writing all the songs. And they always were kind of teasing me in particular about, oh, you want to write all the songs, you know, you're a control freak, whatever. So we're like, all right, you know, you fine. We'll begin like a, a beginning of this cycle, this revolving door. We were like Hollywood Rose in a way. We always had different members like, you want to argue with us? You're fired. <laughs> and so they were gone after this one gig. And we, again, to the recycler, Dave called me and said, this guy answered the ad. I met him. And he looks just like Nicky Six. And I was like, oh, cool. And it was Izzy Bell. He called himself Izzy Bell. I, I play on his last name, Isbell. Sure. And it was Izzy. We met him, and um, he worked out great. What was it like do you, meeting him for the first time? Because you obviously you said you went through everyone under the sun. Everyone under the sun. So what about Izzy? He was a very, at the time, a very enthusiastic and energetic person. Do you remember what he, he came, so he looked like Nikki Six? Did he have hair teased up? Like, yes. He, okay. He didn't like hearing that, but if you look at some of the pictures of Shire at the time, it was, there was a resemblance, you know, the black hair teased out. Um, he, I remember his shoes were creepers. You know what that is, right? So creepers? They're like the stray cats would wear these shoes. Oh, okay. Those big, big 50 shoes with Sh a big platform. Yes, okay. I know they were called creepers, okay. Creepers, I've been yeah. called the creeper. I just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, he wore the, the creepers and looked like Nikki Six, and he was really keen to learn. He had just switched from playing drums with this band called the Naughty Women and a band called the Adams. Sold his drum set and bought a, a bass amp and a nice wide fender precision so he had gear and um he was into learning so much that he made notes of of the songs and tape them in front of him at the rehearsal so he could read them in the beginning and how old was he at the time if you were 17 he had to be 19. okay yeah he was this is 82. yes yeah i mean so i don't mean to be a geek about but he would have turned 20 in on in april of 82. so this is also he was even older than us nerd alert <laughs> <laughs> so that was appropriate yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I, I didn't even know it was coming oh i love neither did i no I, I love the fact that you know all these okay. things that's why i have no yeah. okay april 8th to be exact yeah. <laughs> oh what a trip so he was already 20 when when we we had another creeper yeah. over here yeah, yeah. awesome <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, then how long did that? Because he, because you moved over to, to guitar. Yes, but he played bass. Bass, but he's known for guitar, rhythm guitar. He can, he could pretty much play some well, drums not, too. You know, well, I'm not uh, pigeonholing that he no, can't no. play it. Right, but, right, right. But did he come as a bassist? As or? a bassist. Okay, so it wasn't just like, hey, I can play both, but we only need a bassist. No, he he answered our ad. Do our ad said bassist, and so he was totally nickied out a little bit. You know, because he wasn't just with the look. He was playing yeah. bass like Playing bass, yeah. He, he really doesn't. And one of those pictures that, we, that I sent you, he, I didn't even think how much he looks like Nikki Six, but he really does. Yeah, he does. But, we tweeted it out. So if you okay. want to check it out. And after the episode, we'll put out more, of course. Right. But uh, he didn't, he, was he playing, is he, was he starting to play guitar? Uh, even though he was a bass player, was he still, was he starting to teach himself guitar then? Um. I don't know. I don't even know if he had a guitar. Although okay. I, I remember when uh, Hollywood Rose started, uh -huh. he got himself a really nice uh, no, white Les Paul, black Les Paul custom, which is like the grand piano of guitars. Sure. Yeah. So he got a nice guitar. He had a Gibson uh, combo amp too. I remember yeah. stuff that you know. I remember what people play. So it's <laughs> yeah. like their equipment. And um, when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's a nice guitar. You know, that's he's so he's he's serious about playing guitar. 
Well, what about writing? Since uh, you were the, quote, control, control freak who oh, wanted yeah. to write everything, Izzy obviously wrote a lot for Guns N' Roses. So was he in that mindset of wanting to write as well, or what was he Yes, like he was. I remember one time he said, I have just written a song on the bus. So he plays it for us. And it was kind of some kind of punk humor song that he was known for writing, like, you know, I used to love about to kill or something weird like that. I remember the title. And we're just like, okay, that's nice, but no way. You know, we okay. were the writers, you know. Well, he said he learned guitar by listening to Ramones. You know, as a matter of fact, that's you true. That's funny to yeah. learn guitar by listening to the Ramones. We, uh, to appease him, we started playing a song by the Ramones. And you, what song do you remember? Commander. Nice, okay. And uh, I remember that. They do the best, they do what they can. Um, I being, you know, cause I didn't have, I didn't know punk from nothing. And, um, mm. I played a lead guitar show in the middle of it. And when Axl Rose saw us play uh, somewhere, he was like, the Ramones with guitar solos? And I was like, yep, you know, it's weird. <laughs> you know? But we did that song. We played some covers, you know, and, and that was one of them. I like that. Yeah. So how long did that last with, uh, with Izzy? Because I know uh, the, the the story of Shire is a lot bigger than just, of course, Izzy will get into that. And yeah. Then just to go way back to where we, oh, yes. we were. Uh, so then how many shows did Izzy play with you? What was... Mike, no more than five or six. Okay. So then what was his departure? I mean... He... Again, uh, Dave dealt with that. He just called me one that says, Izzy's leaving. He's going to play one last show. And I was really disappointed. Because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I got along with him. I mean, we did, um, we did stuff together like... One time we went to, we were going to promote a show and made flyers. And instead of passing out flyers outside of a high school, like everybody, normal people do, we went inside the high school and taped them on the walls of the school. Perfect. Till the security guard comes and he goes, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> well, we're promoting that show. And then he asked me, where are you from? And I'm like, Italy. And he goes, is that what people do in Italy? They go inside a school? You can get arrested for trespassing. So we're like, okay. So we took all the flyers and got out. Yeah. And um, so, I, like I said, he was cool. You know, we liked him a lot. No problems with that guy whatsoever. Except that it was obvious that he wanted to do his, you know, start writing songs. You want to do your own thing, you sure. know. And it was a lot different than what we were doing. So, he played this one last shot, the Troubadour, and then he was gone. I never, I, I would only see him as an acquaintance in club, talk to him a little bit. I talked to Axel more than I did him afterwards. Oh, okay. And, uh, and I would see him and... Um, I've seen him in several different, not several, I saw him play with London and um, and then Rose, Hollywood, no, Hollywood Rose, and then Guns N' Roses, of course, I saw him do that too. When did you see him with Guns N' Roses? I saw him at their first show, not, I don't know if it was the first or the second show, they were saying, we're introducing this this band of their merged two bands, LA Guns and Guns N' Roses, and it's called Guns N' Roses. So it seemed like a side project. I went down to the Troubadour. It was a Tuesday or Thursday night. There was nobody there. And I'm pretty sure on the bass was Duff McKagan already. And, um, so Tracy you saw Gunn. the original lineup, yeah. Well, they say the original lineup had Ollie Bake. I never saw Ollie Bake with Guns N' Roses. I saw him with Ellie Guns. Interesting. Yeah. It could have been just the original shows, maybe not the original band. That's what it sounds like. The original show. You had Tracy Guns. And, um, so no Slash yet, obviously. For you. He, Slash had been in it previously. I but saw when him, you saw them, though. I saw Slash was, when they were called Rose. Okay. And that was a pretty good lineup. It was only a four-piece. Okay. Madam Wong's West, I saw them. And we were playing on the same night. 
Um, Rose was um, Axel and Slash, uh, this guy named Steve Dare on bass, and, and Steven Adler on, mm-hmm. on drums. Um, they they had this guy Steve Darrow was awesome. He was he not only could he play bass really good, but he constantly ran back and forth on the stage like a maniac, and actually would jump on his back and <laughs> and run across. And I was like very entertaining. <laughs> and they did the Nazareth song um, "Hair of the Dog," yeah, you know? and yeah. it was it was cool. Like and actually had his hair all up, and it, you know it was the first time that I thought, okay, you know this is serious, this is good. Did you know then when you? You're there on a Tuesday or a Thursday night, uh-huh. and these bands, these friends of yours, form this, you know, uh, super group at the time. I guess yeah. a side project that, like, wow, this is different. Because you said you knew Axel before, you've heard him sing before. Yes. So, did the, any of that click when you saw him for the first time, or you saw Guns N' Roses for the first time, or it was just, hey, this is just a cool band, and and that's yeah, it, and you it, were surprised by the heights that they went to. They, I could tell they were evolving, but they didn't click. He was uh, actually was just standing there, kind of, and he didn't yet develop that hip swaying dance. Okay, he, you know, and not they, the Davy Jones, whatever dance, you yeah. want to call it. it <laughs> he was standing. He, I remember the song uh, "Think About You" mm-hmm. that was really good. They, he did "Don't Cry" and sang it really low. His voice was good low, and they did "Jumping Jack Flash." They ended with that. Okay, and I thought, you know. It's it got better, you know, um, but I didn't. It was eighty five, so you have to understand. Rock was kind of in a slump then. It, the heavy metal days were over, and the glam hadn't yet started. Eighty five was a gray area, mm. so you were like, yeah, we're playing music because we love it, but ain't nothing gonna happen, you know, because you know, you know, it just shit just doesn't happen, you know, and and mm. I could not yet foresee, you know. I mean, a lot of people in L.A. say. Oh yeah, I, I I love those guys from the beginning. I was there for them in the beginning. And right, I, I believe that. But that's typical LABS because <laughs> if you if you that's were, why I ask you, <laughs> you know, if you were into them, well, why didn't you go to the shows? And why didn't you, if you're a record label, why didn't you sign them then? Right, because it was yet yeah, it was raw and and frankly it was kind of like shy. We would bring you know a, we play a show and our girlfriends will be there and a couple of friends from other bands. 10, 15 people, and that was that, you know, we, and, and that's all it was. So Reminds you know, me of that movie, uh, Airheads. Do you know what it's like to be on the bill and to play for 15 minutes, and the only people there to see you are the other bands and their girlfriends? Don't talk to me about rock and roll. I'm out there in the clubs and on the streets, and I'm living it. I am rock and roll. Do you remember that? that okay. I didn't see it. Oh, what the hell's wrong with you? I'm sorry. Airheads was a good movie. <laughs> all right, I'll edit this out. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> that's fine. I'll remind you. Okay, thank you. All right, so... That's I, that's what I wanted. I wanted like an initial um, reaction because a lot of people do say that. Oh, I knew right away. And sometimes I'm like, just like you said, do you really know right away? You know, one of the people that really was there for them, I have to say, was this booking agent lady that you've, I'm sure you heard of, Vicky Hamilton. Yes, we have her. On, we've had her on the show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She booked uh, Shire too. Okay. And uh, her, uh, she worked for uh, Silver Lining Entertainment. And, you know, she was like, yeah, you know, she was into them, booked them, and uh, eventually managed them, let them stay at their house. So, you know, you got to love somebody if you're going to let them stay in the apartment. <laughs> Five stinky guys smoking weed and drinking. <laughs> and um, But she's that kind of person. I, I work with her at a record shop, and okay. she's the kind of person that will help people and not expect anything in return, really. She, she's passionate about music and knows a lot about it, and she recognized their potential almost right away. She was good. Like, I think it was also uh, Poison and Faster Pussycat, I believe she discovered as well. Or and Mal- 
Not Molly Crew, no. Shark Island. No, no, she was booking the Shark Island, uh, but I don't know if she. I don't think she managed. She was booking them like us, right? You know, okay. getting them shows. All right, then. So then, like, uh, just with the Izzy part of it, have you? When was the last time you you saw him? Because you said you were, after he left Shire, you know, acquaintances sometimes see him out at shows. Yeah. But when did that? Because I know it's just life. It's you, people can stop talking for a variety of reasons. But when's the last time maybe you interacted with him? It was uh, 1984. I was walking down Sunset Boulevard, and I see him. He's like, oh, man, you know, me and Axel are staying, our house sitting, a house at the, or an apartment at the bottom of the hill. Come over, and he'll love to see you. And I'm so I had nothing to do, so I went over there, and I hung out with both of them. They were sitting there uh, in somebody's house and for you free. had already known Axel at this point? Yes, or, okay, yes. Okay. I, know him from 80, I know him since 82. This was 84. Then you know. Then let's put a pin in that. I want to know the next time you, you when you met, uh, the first time rather, you met Axel. And oh yeah, I totally so I guess, remember that. Okay, and then build up to that point. The last time you met Izzy since they were together. Yes. Okay. Um, the first time I met Axel had to be the summer of 1982. They showed up. Uh, they, I mean, uh, it was him, known as Bill at the time. Uh, there was a guy named Paul. Uh, and another guy that came with them, he was not a musician. He was just along for the ride. They came at the rehearsals, uh, the garage, you know, the famous garage in the back of Dave's house, okay. his parents. Uh, they watched us play. Uh, we were introduced, and then they got on our instruments and played a song. And that's when I first met him, that's the first time I heard him sing. Okay. Um, I remember, you know, they started a song, this bare-bone, primitive song, which was the song they eventually recorded on one of their EPs, Shadows of Your Love. Okay. Um, he put his head down and started wailing this scream. It was like a foghorn, you know. <laughs> My God, you know, he sings loud. And that was Shadows of Your Love. They did the song. We talked a little bit, and, and then I didn't see him for a while. And it, um, What was your impression of when he was screaming in a foghorn? We were like... You know... It was so different from what I was into, but I was familiar with that style. Okay, um, that's what I was going to ask. Was there anything different about the style, but you were just familiar? It's There was a lot, like, I don't know if you're familiar with the Australian band that ended up covering Rose Tattoo. Yeah. I wrote Nice Boy. Yeah. It was even more uh, primitive than ACDC. It was just this, and him screaming. And when I saw him, eventually a lot of the songs were like that. It was not yet that technical, you know, inventive riffing that became Appetite for Destruction, the Aerosmith-like, almost funk-like mm-hmm. beats, Jungle Beats. It was none of that. It was just a straight-ahead wall of sound sure. and him wailing. got to start somewhere. you got to hone your craft. Exactly. Well, you, when you said when they got up to play the instruments, was it just the two of them? Yeah. Uh, and you know he's saying Paul Hughey. That, okay. All right. Okay, that's what, that's what I was sure 1982. Wow. So, yeah. And, he eventually uh, was in the band. Yeah, it was his friend from Indiana. And I knew that he, he was credited... Um, for Shadow of Your Love, as well as Back Off Bitch. Okay. Um, and the others. But, but uh, you know, so when he mentioned that to me, I mean, God, it was like, <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I mean, again, back at Ground Zero, Guns N' Roses Ground Zero. And I, I just, the way I imagine it is, you know, he, he hadn't technically moved there permanently yet. No. Um, it was one of the trips out there, I guess, hitchhiked, drove, whatever. Uh, out there with Paul, and I don't know if Paul went back to Indiana or not, but uh, stepping up to to sing one of their earliest songs. I don't know. To me, it's one of the coolest things ever to hear. That is amazing. Absolutely. So what was the next time you, because you said you hadn't seen him in a while Um, after that first time. 
I would see him in clubs. Like we would hang out outside the Troubadour or the Rainbow. And, you know, he wasn't like a friend. He was an acquaintance. And we had things in common like we loved the English band, The Sweet. Oh, yeah. And we loved Queen. We especially talked about Queen and sure. The Sweet. Uh, and there was a local band coming up, Wasp, of course. Which, Lois. Yes. Um, they just came on the scene, like, you know, drawing crowds right away. And, and it was so... The back of vocals and the songs were great. So we're like, isn't that great? And we're like, yeah, yeah, that is pretty great. And so that was the kind of talk we would sure. have. Yeah. What did he, because um, he was still Bill then. Yes. I, I'm trying to create what you clearly remember, which is just amazing. What did he look like? You know, because he said Izzy had the teased up hair and looked like Nikki Six black. Yeah. What was Bill Bailey? What was his style when you, uh, you met him? If you look at those pictures of Rapid Fire, that's pretty much really looked Okay. Like. You know, denim jackets. He didn't have any, uh, maybe he had one tattoo. Uh, and his hair was always down, uh, you know, flat and long. And um, he was really thin, not as thin as me. I was the thinnest <laughs> of all. I mean, I never heard enough of that shit. <laughs> you're too skinny. You'd be better looking if you ate. I was like, leave me alone. Oh, jeez. Everybody it, was skinny back then. It was like heroin chic, wasn't it? Uh, no, that was before it. the heroin, actually. Nobody, oh. I knew no one did heroin that I knew until Or 80, cocaine 86. chic or whatever. That was a lot of cocaine, but right. you know we were kids, so it was like, no, fuck that, you know. Right. I don't know about the Guns N' Roses guys, but but in Chai, we, that was like beer, and that's it, you know. Not, we, not even weed. Well, we didn't smoke. We, I, I personally didn't like it. And Dave had this voice to take care of. Okay. You know, he had that. Fair enough. You know, he wasn't gonna ruin his voice. You never know. I mean, Lady Gaga smokes weed, and she. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But you know. <laughs> Different strokes. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so then, I guess let's cross cross the uh, the streams, as it were. Sure. Uh, so you acquaintances with Axel after you met him. Uh, you know, Izzy had left the band, and you again acquaintances at different shows. Yes. And we're now we're back up to the last time you met Izzy. Yes. And he's like, "Come over, Axel wants to see you." So is he that said he'd, he'd love to see you. Okay. And um, and I went over there, and there they were. Um, what I the two things I remember. Uh, there were pictures on the wall of Axel uh, with his hair all teased up. That's the first time I ever saw that and wearing a lot of makeup as if he had been modeling for somebody. Mm. And it, it really looked cool. It, you know, he looked like a model or something. He had pictures of himself up? Yes. Like on out, the wall. Like where he just has like a painting of him like, you know, fighting a bull. That's me taking the bull by the horns. That's how I handle my business. It's a metaphor. I get it. No, I, it was like, a painting of him with this wearing this. But I mean, like, are they three by you know three by fives that are on like a mantle? Eight that by tens, your, eight by tens, yeah. whatever you have on, on like your... a flyer, you know, like a okay, pic, yeah, I, maybe not not all over the place. Maybe okay, like two I, or three. I just wanted to know the level of egoness at the time. Okay. Well, maybe it was also a reference, like if you wanted to redo it. Oh, of course. You I'm know? just trying to be funny and you're ruining it. But so. oh. well, <laughs> one thing about him, he was um, he's. Very familiar. He was very familiar with all kinds of music. Mm-hmm. You know, the glam from the 70s. He knew gothic music like Bauhaus. You know, okay. that was kind of in the early 80s coming up. They wore a lot of makeup. And, you know, he looked like he was going to dabble with that as well if it, that's what it took, you know. Mm. He, could, he could go normal or he could be this glam image type of guy, which, let's face it, I mean, in L.A. at the time, not anymore, but at the time... Uh, if you wore makeup, you know, look at Motley Crue, if you wore makeup and you look convincing enough, you could draw a bunch of girls. Yeah. And if you draw girls, then guys are going to be there. And next you know, you have a crowd. And then from then on, record labels get interest and you have a career. Yeah. So everybody was trying to do that. That's why they passed out flyers. 
And uh, that's what Molly Crew did. Molly Crew drew big crowds in 81 before even MTV. They were huge. And I was no doubt, this, there's no way this isn't going to succeed because people love them. And we were all trying to do the same thing, kind of going, you know, that's what translates into success. We got to get out there with flyers and we got to draw. You know, some bands could draw big, some didn't. For obviously, you know, when I uh, first saw Poison, they were they worked like maniacs, and that's and, what I was just thinking of. You sure. know, passing that flies all the time, constantly, and it worked. Although a lot of people were like, you know, this band is terrible, but it was full of girls, <laughs> and and you know, it worked. They, they became a top drawing act, and and um, they got an I think an independent deal with the same label the Shire was on Enigma Records. Okay. This apparently this record costs only I'm not sure but it costs only twenty five thousand dollars to make and it sold two and a half million records. Mm. So you know you can say to pe- some people oh they suck but if they work hard you know it's not like somebody handed it to them you know they right you know what I'm saying let the people decide you know let the people decide. Oh no they they earned it you mean they uh, earned it yeah you may not be a fan of Poison but I am I they mm-hmm. Uh, the one time I saw Poison, it was, I think it went back in 2002. So it wasn't like their heyday. They opened up for Kiss okay, uh, in Jones Beach, mm. and Poison was incredible, and I almost fell asleep during Kiss. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, but I was, yeah. But I mean, Poison was great. But like you said, if you, I, that's what I believe. It may not be my cup of tea. I may not be the biggest fan, but if you put in the work, you know, you have my respect. Yeah. And if that's the formula that was working back then, well, no, of course. It was working, but with the same token, everyone was doing it. Well, that was the whole. Um, did you ever see the documentary, "The Decline of Western Civilization"? Part oh two? yeah, I, I lived through that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that was obviously extremely accurate. Yeah, extremely accurate. That's. I the... mean, it, <laughs> it kind of got on my nerves a little because I've seen people come from out of town and go, "Oh, if I wear the same clothes as these people and play that same style of music, then I can have a music career." And yeah. and it's not, you know, it's like you know, music first. You know, let's face it. You know. Mm-hmm. So I I have nothing against the people like Poison or stuff. They you know they had catchy songs. They stood out. They made their mark. But it's all the other ones that that's all they were doing. And me as a musician, after Shire fell apart, I was like, well, what am I gonna do now? All there is is these mooks trying to wear makeup, <laughs> and and then the music is no good. What am I doing? I spend a lot of time just mm-hmm. looking at the recycler, of course, and it was like always the same. And I'm like. You know, my taste is kind of diverse. I always admire people like David Bowie or Queen, which you don't just streamline into one type of music. Right. You take all kinds of music and write songs upon that. That's why I like Guns N' Roses. It's there just you like go. if you hear one Guns N' Roses song, you haven't heard them all. But if yeah. you hear, as much as I love ACDC, you've heard one ACDC song, you've pretty much heard them all. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, I, that's what I, I respect. So I'm the same uh, level as you. Yeah. So, uh, then what was that your last interaction? Because that was your last interaction with Izzy. Yes. So what was your last interaction with uh, with Axel? The last interaction. Or was that it? No, no, no. He um, when Guns N' Roses started picking up steam in 1986, he uh, Izzy was like you see him on stage, but he was nowhere to be seen. Um, Axel went out a lot. He supported other local bands, and he would get on, up on stage with them, sing songs with them, and that's great. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had uh, Shy had dissipated at this point, sort of dissolved. Everybody was doing other things. I uh, was working a very trendy LA street called Melrose Avenue. You might have heard that a lot of musicians worked there mm-hmm. uh, during the day in clothing stores or whatever. And uh, a lot of people went on Melrose on the weekends or during the week. 
um, I met this singer, and we started a band called Motorcycle Boy. Um, anybody that likes Johnny Thunder's New York Doll style, I would recommend to check out the record. It's probably like three bucks on eBay. Okay. Um, Motorcycle Boy is still going to this day. Oh, wow, okay. They eventually even got um, signed to a label, and their album was produced by Sylvain of the New York Dolls, and it's good. So I, I met him, and uh, this was kind of like complete opposite of Shire, and um, and it picked up right away. People would come and see us, you know, because we were on Melrose. People, uh, everybody knew him, my, my singer. And um, well, one of the shows I was playing, and I see Axel in the crowd dancing, and I, he comes up to me after and goes, I can't wait to tell Izzy that you're in the coolest band in L.A. <laughs> and I thought, wow, thanks, man, cool. And um, we've seen him another time after that. I thought, well, Axel gets on stage with everybody. I'm going to ask him if he wants to sing with us. And we're doing a Ramones cover again. Um, and we're like, Axel, do you want to sing with us? And he's like, he's going, yeah, how does that go? We're sitting here on Fifth Avenue eating chicken, Vindaloo. So he knew the lyrics already. <sighs> so we are on stage. We get to the last song. We're like, okay, we have a special guest tonight. <laughs> And he's gone. He took <laughs> off. So we're like, okay. Aww. Yeah. Oh, Axel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sucks. Did you ever get to talk to him about that afterwards? Never saw him again. Wow, that's typical Axel. <laughs> oh, my God. That is really funny. I, I Actually, in 1994 years later, I ended up being in a band with his brother-in-law. Um, with Axel's brother-in-law? Axel's brother-in-law. Okay. Axel was married, I think, for one day or a week to Erin Everly, the daughter of one of the Everly brothers. Mm-hmm. She had a younger brother named Eden um, who had connections, you know, being the son of one of the Everly brothers. Sure. People were interested in what he was into. And he happened to look great and sing great. His music was in the vein of uh, of the Black Crows, that style. Okay. You know? Bluesy, um, classic rock. Unfortunately, the only place I can reference to go see it would be we have a MySpace profile. <laughs> and I know that's defunct now, but <laughs> if, you can, if your computer's good enough, you can go there <laughs> And you will play the songs, and they're really good. This guy's great. Okay. It does work. I just haven't been on MySpace oh, okay. in, a, in a while. So E-D-A-N, not to be confused by a rapper now with the same name. E-D-A-N was the name of the band. Um, and this, uh, his sister was actually with, with Axel. Um, I never got any contact with him, but there was a rumor, our album, we had, we had a deal with Hollow Records. There was a rumor, because the, to the connection of the sister, that we could be the opening act on the Use Your Illusion tour, oh. which would have made been a career maker. Of course. Um, um, you know, with my luck that I've had throughout my life, uh, that as soon as we heard this rumor, a week later, he was divorced from her. So mm. that put the kibosh on that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. It's very interesting. Yeah. I, f- I feel like you and Axel need to have like a conversation. <laughs> I don't know what I would say. <laughs> At least say like, where did you go that night? That would be one yeah, thing. Yeah, where were you, man? Maybe he was threatened by our awesome stage presence. Or he, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or he just left with a girl. Yeah, well, he was there with Aaron, I think, the the, the daughter. Okay. He was, when he was doing well. Or with that girl. The Aaron, yeah, yeah. Right. That's very, that's interesting. Yeah. Who else have you met in that in the camp that you've or possibly even worked with? Never met Duff McKagan. Okay. Um, I never met, ironically, weird, I never met Slash. Um, I seen him play... Uh, in a band uh, in 81 where he was, uh, I think it was Titus Sloan. He was at a party and they were doing heavy metal covers with no vocals, no <laughs> vocalists. It was all instrumental. So I thought, you know, this guy plays good, but with no singer, nothing's going to happen. Previously to that, this is a weird story. My dad had sent me in 1979 to a music school 
uh, that was a little tiny shack on Fairfax Avenue in Santa Monica. I used to go take guitar lessons once a week, and I would see Slash. Fairfax Avenue, Fairfax right, High right School. Up. All right, yeah. right up from the high school. Continue. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Slash and Steven Adler were going to the same school. Mm-hmm. So I asked my teacher, I can't find anybody to be in a band with. What about those two? And he goes, oh, that's Saul and Steven. They're, you don't want to be with those kids. They're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they are, but you, you probably still wanted to be with them. Oh, that would have been cool. That's so. Then, where did your life go after that? That's what I want to get to. Also, as well, well. I, or is I, it, I don't what, want to skip I, over the um, what like, am I, what like am I the, skipping over the, the the Shire EP. Oh yeah, uh, which I think is terrific. Um, Thank you. I've just listened to it. That's again. on YouTube, by the yeah. way. They, uh, if you put Shire EP, the whole thing mm-hmm. with Don Dawkins is on there. And the, and the new song, Fragile. Oh yeah, the, um, I'm very proud of that one. We Don Dawkins did the the new EP. No, no, no. He did oh, a '84. Okay, because I'm. Fill me in, because because you have no bio, so it's not even like I'm. I know, no problem. I, I, I that's you know I tried to be as prepared as I can for these interviews, so I mean I prepped John a little bit. That that sounds makes it sound like I, I was your fluffer. You know, I, <laughs> I was asking you about Alan before, so I want to know. You know, so Don Dokken did your first record. My, our first <laughs> You're and so only uncomfortable record. You're so uncomfortable now. It's great. Our first and only record was produced by Don Dokken. Okay. And Michael Wagner, who became a producer later with Skid Row and everything. He was the engineer. Okay. Dokken was the producer. Okay. Are you, do you still have a relationship with Don or no? No, I, I just saw him play in the parking lot of the Rainbow, ironically. I was going to go up and say hi, but um, by the time I, I was able to go backstage, he disappeared. People just disappeared. In, in yeah. fact, it was funny because... Um, I saw they got on they got on stage and his whole band was like throwing horn signs and and fists you know all pumped and he gets up there and he goes, let's do this I got to be in bed by eleven. Oh my god! And, wow. and it didn't look like he was kidding either. <laughs> you know, uh, my co-host who's not here actually went to South Dakota or North Dakota I forget. That was that one reunion show they did in the states, Dokken last year. Uh, right. So I mean, he went by himself to go see Dokken, the original Dokken. He said he was a great time, but yeah, he, he had a, a great time. But he said the Don, club was a part shooting range. Right? It was arcade, uh, shooting range, bar, ta- restaurant, radio hotel. station, tattoo parlor. I want something like that out here in yeah. New York City. But yeah, so he got to see the original Dokken. And yeah, Dokken seems a little bit uh, worse for the wear nowadays. Well, I have to say, I mean, you know, he's 67. Well, yes, I and, always take that into account. And, and I, I, a lot of people, if they smoke cigarettes or something. Wait, he's 67 or 57? 67. Is he really 67? Wow, know. okay. All right. Yeah. You would know. I didn't know. Okay, now well, I feel. When I was, now I feel even worse. Let me think. Okay, I was eighteen. He was thirty-two already. Oh wow! Oh, so he. I guess I didn't realize that. That when Dokken broke, he was already kind of older. Yeah, people were giving him shit about that, but I respect him that he kept going and uh, he uh, he had a lot of connections. His manager was Cliff Bernstein of uh, Metallica and and who else? Wait, who else? Is Cliff? Well, Cliff Bernstein was a great manager. And you know the second record when, when good did really good. From then on, he had a string of uh, platinum records, so he had a good career. You know, he did good. No, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, when did you guys decide to put up the um, the Shire MySpace that I found? He's I guess, 64, by the way. Oh, sorry. How dare you? <laughs> I was <laughs> off though, but I mean, he's still that's still pretty old. Anyway, 
Because but like, he can sing still. I, I, there's a lot of haters that be like, you know, he can't hit the high notes. But he, the whole concert is on YouTube, by the way, uh, Docking at the Rainbow. You can see it for yourself. He's, he's not singing flat notes. You know, mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, but there's haters out there. People even think that actors shouldn't sing anymore. It's like, come on. We'll get into that, too, right. someone who's seen him. But, John, you were going to say something? Oh uh, No, I was just... Uh, <laughs> I guess it's unrelated. Um, That's what we do here. You, well, you, the, the MySpace uh, page that I first found you guys on, um, you had there's a song on there, Joyride. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, when, when did that start? I mean, how long? That was eight, uh, eight or nine years ago. I got in touch with Dave again, uh-huh. and we were working on some songs. Uh, but then we didn't keep going, doing it. You know, we there was other things in life that got in the way. Uh, we didn't start playing until 2014 again. Okay. All yeah. right. Because um, w- we, we didn't mention that Johnny Christ, who was the Hollywood, the, the first Hollywood Rose drummer, was the drummer in Shire when Izzy was there. Was he the whole time that Izzy was there? or was He it... was there the whole time. Okay. okay. And uh, and then his departure, I mean, did he play in both bands at the same time? Or both is... bands at the same time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, but there's an Adler connection, right? I I think I just brought didn't Adler introduce Dokken the other he night? He introduced Dokken. Okay, it was like a month ago. Okay, yeah. yeah, that was what um Ian was talking about. That they were doing it on Facebook Live, and I guess when they were about to bring out Adler, they like they cut off the live. They said like, no, he he's not allowed to do that or something. Or as people, Ian described it better than I can, and I think it was the last episode he was on. Uh, Man. Then, then all of a sudden the Facebook Live went away. So I don't know if Stephen is under a muzzle again. Jeez. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It was a weird Facebook Live thing that I feel like Ian is the only one who saw. Uh. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, if that's true, that, he's, getting, he's getting the uh, bad deal of the cards here, you know? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I mean, after the fact, he came out with saying some, uh, well, no, some no, I, bad things. About, about the GNR thing, yeah. But, I mean, getting cut off from Facebook Live... Oh, I, I just don't know. Because yeah. even the people who, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you, Alan, even some people that we've reached out to talk Guns N' Roses, not everybody can, you know, because they said there's certain people that we work with and they're, they're respectful about it. I mm. just don't know. I, I just try not to pry and just sit and ask why, but they're like, hey, you know, I can't talk about this now. Or right. It's mm. just, uh, it's interesting. It's just, that's why I, I, I like all these uh, these different side players and meeting people like you who, who knew uh, the original before when they were Bill and, and uh, well, you didn't meet him when he was Jeff, but you know uh, when he was just Izzy Bell. Mm. Izzy Bell, yeah. Well, Raz mentioned uh, in, in in his book, I think a video shoot of your of uh, of Shires, I, I, and maybe it's part of the documentary that was put up or something where you guys are like on a it's like on a hill. It looks like you're all on dunes or something, and yeah, yeah. Ronnie all runs into like a mm-hmm. beehive or something. Yes, or something. <laughs> it was um, there was a. Rich eccentric millionaire named Louis Marvin, uh-huh. uh, who lived there with his wife and child. He he lived on the top of a mountain on, on uh, Topanga Canyon. Topanga Canyon. Yes, there's a Topanga Canyon. Yes, you're, you're unfamiliar. Oh, well, you haven't been. I'm a boy meets world. Topanga. Yeah, like my childhood crush, boy meets world. Way to go, Topanga! All right, well, get your ass out to L.A. because you need to go to these places. I want to be on Topanga's Canyon. <laughs> All right, maybe I'm, I'm the youngest one here. I'm the only one who gets the reference. Anyway, continue about the Bank of Canyon. Um, and I used to hang out there. He had, he even had a llama up there. He was bizarre. <laughs> he had wild animals. It was impossible to get to this place. I don't know how we got up there without driving off a cliff. But we got up there, and this guy, we had uh, the first track of our 
of our EP, we decided, let's make a video. So it was like an actual video to tape, you know. And we filmed this video, and there's parts of it on uh, on YouTube. There's a new interview with us, and then you see us, what we look like back then. Um, ironically, three or four years later, Don Dawkins, who knew the same guy, uh, filmed one of his videos on the same mountain. So we're hmm. like, oh, who's copying who now? <laughs> you know? And he, uh, I think, I forget what the song was. Not Dream Warriors, but some other song like that. And then like, wow, he's doing it the same location. Dream Warriors is like the only song of theirs I always think of just because I'm a horror freak. And right. of course that right. was right. Uh, okay. you know, Freddy Ford. I don't I mean. know. I had to give myself an education one night after after Ian's trip out there and I just had a, a whole replay playlist of Dokken for an evening and my wife would come in and out. She's like, what, what, what is this? I'm like, no, 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 this, it's Dokken. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, no, Ian, I mean, I I was. I do like the, what's, you know, the hair metal, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. you know, um, What's the, uh, I guess, the, the better term instead of hair metal? I guess, because uh, Eddie Trunk talks about it a lot, that they just don't like the term. Melodic hair, hard rock. Yeah, something like that. So, yeah. I mean, I, I still like it, but Ian's, uh, again, my uh, normal co-host mm-hmm. is super into it. I, I just can't be. I get not, not at this age anymore. I mean, it doesn't connect the same way Guns N' Roses still connects in with the lyrics. Well, that was the question you guys, or either you or Ian asked me, said, do you believe that Guns N' Roses is metal? And I said, no. You know, uh, and oh. there was like a debate or something. Yeah, those, uh, whether they're, they're hair metal, I think that was that was his question. He, uh, he wanted to know if Guns N' Roses was hair metal because uh-huh. maybe how they started. Or I, we asked that um, to Stevie Rochelle from Tough. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah, Stevie was on the show. Very nice guy, as, as well. He so, runs Metal Sludge. Yep, Metal Sludge. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's just so funny. Again, all these things are, through the podcast. I remember using, you know, my compact computer dial-up f- trying to find out about rock bands, mm-hmm. and Metal Slugs was one of the few sites that would, you know, report these. Now everyone mm-hmm. and their their mother does, but they're the OGs, the, mm-hmm. the originals of, of doing it. Uh, so then, if that, those are your last experiences with Axel and Izzy, uh, before because I, I want to catch up obviously with you, sure. I want to get your opinion on because you touched on it before about with Dawkins' voice. You know, you experienced Axel's voice before it shaped into anything. Yes. And then now, you know, and John uh, and I, we've spoken about it. You know, I think Axel, every time I've seen him, including with the Rose and Roses, as Dee Snyder likes to call it, when he was with Bumblefoot and Buckethead, you know, I still, I mean, I get it. I get it, but because it Guns N' Roses is a brand. But, I mean, he never sounded off. But there have been plenty of YouTube videos where it doesn't sound good. And I'm not going to lie, the Rock and Rio that he, that he just played, no, I don't know why he doesn't with the November rain. He just doesn't sound the same to me anymore. Well, the, but it's not going to deter me from going to a show. But also, oh, but even, these are soundboard broadcasts, which I, th- I think is a big mistake because the, 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 I, I don't know anything about these kind of broadcasts. But that compared too. to how the 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 way they used to be done, there's got to be a quality difference or, or or how it's how it's reproduced because. It doesn't represent. No, I don't think so, because I got to see uh, Axel DC, ACDC, over in the garden last year, and it was just him, because you have to sing Rasp for ACDC, Rasp for two hours. So wow. he can do it. Yeah. And again, I've seen, uh, I saw the, not, this Lifetime reunion last year. I'm going in just a few days. I actually just got the, the email reminder from uh, from Ticketmaster. Thank you for all the fucking fees. Uh, <laughs> Wednesday, October 11th. Yeah. So, yeah, it's coming up seeing them. And he sounds great. Yeah. So I don't know. But even in that show, go, go watch uh, the Don't Cry clip. I mean, that. that... Right. It's, it's picking and choosing. Uh, I think that's very important. 
because uh, the if you're not a fan like we are who gets that mm-hmm. I think because they just put a, a live video up on their Facebook the other day and it was from behind the drum kit yeah and everyone's like it sounds like shit you're using what a Facebook live from yeah. behind the drum kit of course it's gonna sound like shit just enjoy watching them and what it is now so I mean I get that but I mean, the, the, the gall that people would reveal their stupidity to, to say something so obvious you know like no. like use your head. Here's the, uh, before I, I, I ask Alan just the question about his voice and just what you think about, you know, bands still doing it when they're, quote, over the hill. Or, and I have another example of that when I saw Danzig a few weeks ago. And okay. He doesn't sound the same, but it was my first time seeing him, and I loved him. I loved it. It was fucking awesome. But I saw, I, know, I was watching uh, Conan the other day when mm-hmm. he had Tom Cruise on. And instead of those carpool karaoke's, which um, Guns Roses, if they did a carpool karaoke, would be fucking amazing. Uh, but because it's Conan, he has to make it weird. Mm. And it was just him and Tom Cruise in a car for nine minutes, just like with awkward conversations and silence. I didn't see this. I oh, it's brilliant. Obviously, it's a joke. Okay. And, and you know, Conan asks him, he's like, so uh, tell me about Officer and a Gentleman. He's not in the movie. Right. And then Tom Cruise is like, I wasn't in that movie. And then you see comments about Conan's such a moron, officer and a gentleman, really? Wow. Fucking morons. Like, it's just, so again, people are excluding the fact that the majority of the population are morons, except for the people who listen to this show, of course. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about, you know, people like, you know, Axel, who's older, who they think that he may, some people may not think he could do it, is singing, even though the response has been overwhelming, but you still get those he can't sing anymore, or whether he should be in ACDC, or he mentioned you saw Blue Oyster Cult. I saw them a month ago, but it's what, one person left? So I, I want to know what- Did they have Kasim Sultan on bass from uh, Todd Runger's Utopia? I believe so. It was, a gr- it, was, it was a great show. Don't get me- As long as they have Buck Dharma. <laughs> it's a great show. Or um, Frank Zappa's uh, Hologram is going on tour. Oh, that's I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, there's a whole fight in between the the whole Zappa family and everything. So I just want to get your uh, opinion on that. Who's seen you know some of these bands in their heyday, the original members before they were even quote original members. You know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, just your your thoughts on that. Well, I personally I I have a lot of respect for singers because you are like the focus of the attention of the mm-hmm. whole thing you represent the band and um and what makes a a great singer the steven tyler's david bowie's freddie mercury it's not just the how you sing technically but it's this energy right. that comes out and this personality and so over the years you know you, people get older they change physically so it's not going to be the same so like I said before, it's up to the fans. If it's there for people who like it and those who don't like it, leave it alone. I mean, you don't know what it's like. You know, normal people have no idea what it's like to stand up in front of people and go, hey, listen to me because what I'm doing is good. They don't know what it's like when you're starting out, no one get, no one cares. When you're doing great and everybody, I, I don't have an idea what that feels like, <laughs> but, you know, everybody's hanging off of you. And, and, and then when you're kind of, you know, on the decline, and everybody puts it down. So it's like, it's for people who, if you love a band, you know, like I love, I love Cheap Trick. Sure. And I've seen them recently uh, play a show for almost two hours. I could have watched it for four hours. Mm-hmm. And it gave me chills and I was entertained. And to me, that's a real band who was, he, they kept going when they were successful. They do the same thing when they're not so successful. They get up there and they play for the fans who love them. And that's what it's about. If people... 
still love Guns N' Roses and they like their new material and they want to hear some of the older, more power to them. You know, rock and roll has gotten old, and but the fans have gotten older too. So people will still go see the Rolling Stones in their 70s, and their material, original material is not as good as the 60s and the 70s, but still, people still go, it's there for those who love it. Oh, what's your alternative? Give me a brand new band uh, right now. They've sound as good as those bands did then. Who do you go see? We're, we're trying. I mean, of course, you know, there are some, you know, like the hailstorms of the world. There are a few and far in between. Oh, that's that band with the girl. Yeah, Lizzie okay. Hale. Yeah. I should check that out. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I have no, no idea. But. They do. Uh, I was actually introduced to, not personally, I would love to meet her, although she's too tall for me. Like, that would never stop me if I ever had, <laughs> if I ever had a chance. Uh, they did a cover of uh, Out to Get Me on their first, um, I think, like, EP. Oh, yeah. And it's sick. It's mm. it's 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 sick. So I mean, they're they're big Guns N' Roses fans as and well. And she sang a duet with uh, Sebastian Bach, right? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah she's okay. hardcore. You know. Okay. Well, good. That. There you go. Yeah. So I mean, or um, the Pretty Reckless. Uh, they've they've with the blonde girl. Yes. Yeah, I guess I like female vocalists. Are there mm. any guys doing this? I mean, I know that I like uh, the band the Struts. You know the Struts. The Struts. Yeah. They kind of queen like uh they got some play when new york uh city when we actually had a rock station i mean other okay. than of course uh q and four which is classic rock but when there was a new rock station here um when it was wrxp and the new rock they would play the struts but then now new york the oh, rock seems to be dead in new york mm-hmm. or at least uh new rock so um, that's part of you know living in yesteryear what this podcast is about it's like where is it going right but then uh you know, because you, you've seen, you know, that quote, uh, Supergroup or Side Project Guns N' Roses. Yes. Then what do you think, you know, getting past this, the voice aspect of it, do you care that Izzy's not in the reunion? Um, Does that bother you? Like, what do you think about people who reunite with L.A. Guns? I mean, now there's one L.A. Guns, but there was two for a while. Yeah. The yeah. whole issue with uh, Bobby Blotzer and Rat. I mean, so it's... You know, these bands that are people that you met, acquaintances, whatever it is, still trying to make a living and maybe using that name to make a living. Um, like Soul and Temple Pilots is actually supposed to uh, announce their new singer soon. Wow. At least when this podcast is coming out. Hmm. Wow. I thought that was weird for me. I don't know. Uh, it's I, weird for I me. I can't speak for most of these bands. Oh, I'm just like, but in the yeah. case, my opinion, case of Guns N' Roses, um, that was their. That was pretty much their modus operandi. Since they started, there was a revolving door, and actually was just going to keep it going no matter what. That was Hollywood Rose, Rose, Guns N' Roses. Uh, before Guns N' Roses, a lot of people went in out of that band. Um, and he was like, whether you know, Izzy was the constant songwriter, but even he wasn't in it for a while. So he was like, I'm going to keep this going. And I think to this day, that's his mindset. I'm going to keep this name and I'm going to keep this thing going no sense. matter who's in it. And that's what that's like. The other Sunset Strip bands, it kind of makes me feel a little sad. But, you know, people don't want to quit. It's hard to quit this. Um, you've just The whole process of rehearsing and writing songs... And uh, whether you make a lot of money or not is very addicting. And if you, as you get older, you, there's less people that you can do it with, and there's less people that are interested in what you're doing. But you still wanna, you still wanna do it. You know, I'm I'm 52, and I still have you this drive. Oh, thank God bless you. <laughs> um, I still have the drive to compose new music mm-hmm. and uh, and record it and. 
you know, the hardest part is to play live and get people to come and see it. But I, I want to do that too. See, that's what I don't, I don't like when people say like you shouldn't do that. Like when I got went to go see Danzig, yeah, my, one of my friends who I went with had seen him a bunch of times, and he's, he yells out at the end, even though he had a good time. He's like, you should retire, just because he's like he just didn't sound the same. I'm like, this was my first show. I fucking loved every second of this. Well, that song, Mother, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. That's what he ended with. But, yeah. you know, of course. A friend of yours said this? Uh, yeah. Dirty Black Summer. Oh, yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm more familiar with the uh, the Mitzvitz catalog than uh, Danzig Solo. And he mm-hmm. does no Mitzvitz uh, in his solo stuff. So, But I still enjoyed every second of it. You know, I, then, with, then, of course, when Mother came, I'm like, oh, my God, this is my childhood. I'm singing this live for the first time. Same thing with Van Halen. I never got to see Van Halen before. Saw them when they reunited. Then everyone's like, oh, David Lee Roth can't sing anymore. He's talking his vocals. He was never Pavarotti. He, he, I, I love the show. And he recently just came out in, I don't know, he did some, like, charity event looking like, you know, some sort of vaudevillian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how he is. And I'm like, I would still see him any second. It's, yeah. just, it's just, again, what you said, Alan, being the entertainer. And how do you tell someone not to do it? And I always use the analogy of sports. You know, sports is different because your body will give out. Right. And you really can't. You will get hurt. Yeah. Uh, with Axel, you know, I don't know what prep he does for his voice now, but for someone like him, who's also in his 50s, to be doing three-hour shows or Bruce Springsteen doing three-and-a-half-hour shows, I mean, that's insane. Yeah. We well, you know, I was at the Coachella Music Festival. I think it was uh, 2015 or 2016, and I saw Guns N' Roses. Okay. And um, a, he had broken his foot. So for yeah. the whole show, he had to sit down. And in fact, Did I Did you think go for Guns N' Roses or you just went to Coachella? Because I went because it was free. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because I, I would not pay. Well, I, I saw was- Thin Lizzy once with one original member and I paid 25 bucks. I will not pay above $25 to see the Pope. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> I think now it's way too overpriced. It's ridiculous. Yes. I yes. mean, we used to pay five bucks. Oh, I mean, yeah. come on. You know I'm paying I mean? uh, 100 again to see GNR. I mean, I know. I know. It's- I wish I, you, I, wish you I could what? say it was that low. Yeah, well, mm. you you are worse, John. You you fly all over the country, and yeah, somehow no. your wife stays with you. I, I hope she yeah. she doesn't listen uh, to all the details. See, that's what I mean. I don't have a girlfriend or, yeah. or, or kids, so I, she, I, yeah. she doesn't know how to go onto my uh, Bank of America uh, website to see. What the, to see <laughs> fair, fair enough. So uh, then, yeah. So I said I'm with you. You have the same. Then, what, then what about you? When you know, with Shire, yeah. what were you doing, you know, when that dissipated? How have you survived? What are you doing now? Because you still have the, the passion. So um, bring us up to speed with, with Alan. Well, um, in, in 1986, uh, the Shire thing came to an end. Um, the plan with Shire was we'll make this EP. It's going to get on the radio. A lot of other bands are doing it. Like the Great White, you know, if you're familiar with them, right? Yeah. That's what they did. They, we had uh, Lardy. Uh, oh, the keyboard uh, guy. Yeah, we just, we, had, we interviewed him as well. Oh, right He on. did a, um, a mix of Mr. Brownstone, and I was told that I won't reveal my source, because you can find the, the, the mix of Mr. Brownstone uh, on YouTube, but the source uh, that I heard that Axel fucking hated it and like wanted uh, it to be buried. Yeah. Well, but that's not neither here nor there. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um, so as I was saying that um, the the EP was supposed to get on the radio. Then we get a radio airplay. We'd be popular. We get a major record deal. And then the, our professional career would start. Um, unfortunately, it got on the radio, but for a very brief time. 
And then that was that. The record label said, no, we don't want to make a full-length album with you. Uh, we were disappointed. Everybody started doing other things. Um, and um, that funny, uh, we did one last show. Uh, the radio station KNC had a sponsor, a Battle of the Bands at Gazaris. And uh, if you win, you would win airplay. So we thought, okay, we'll hmm. enter the Battle of the Bands. It'll be like a comeback. And we'll totally win because we're more seasoned than the other acts. And, and we'll be on the radio. So that's so we reformed. We called Johnny Christ, which was awesome guy for saying, sure, I'll do it. Um, the guys that we had didn't want to do it. They were doing other things. And we kill, called Rick Akayama, the bass player of Hollywood Rose. Okay. He R also- Rick Richards. Rick okay. Richards. Oh, okay. Rick Richards, yeah. Um, he said, sure, because he was a friend. And um, he learned back of vocals, everything in like a week. And we went and did it. Of course, this was, you know, being shired the model for Spinal Tap, this was another disappointment. <laughs> As we were playing with a Christian band named Baron Cross, uh, the Christian band packed the place with Christians. And uh, I remember my girlfriend was in the audience and said, you know, the Christians really liked you, but they were not allowed to clap because they're here to support their band. Shut up. So they, I was pissed off. The Christians won the Battle of the Bands. <laughs> and I thought, okay, man, this is the final nail in the coffin. So like when you were done playing, they just stood there. They just stood there, man. They That's didn't even. So weird. They didn't even react when I was flipping them off and spitting at them. <laughs> Damn Christians. They, they, they just stood Jesus. there and they didn't make any noise. It was just I, like. Oh, and to, to make it even All worse, right. backstage, I'm, I'm walking backstage in this. A band member Christian looks at me and I had my hair all teased out. He goes, oh, brother, you look like Abraham. And I was like, who the fuck is Abraham? <laughs> <laughs> so they totally hated me and I hated them. I was, that was it for me. I was like, I I'm done. Well, well, I'm going to accept you as part of the Jewish tribe. We, <laughs> Absolutely. We, we clap. We don't worry. <laughs> right on. Mazel tov. <laughs> what do you call, since you're Italian, what do you call an Italian Jew? A super smart. Well, other than that, uh, a pizza bagel. A pizza bagel, awesome. <laughs> you can use that one for cool. <laughs> All right, so then you did you after that happened, which is just so fucking funny. I feel like you need to make some sort of movie about your life. Oh man, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because just meeting you now, you're a bit of a character, a great storyteller. You know, all these interactions with famous people. But again, you have a great sense of humor about the these Spinal Tap moments. I don't know how else the phrase. Oh, you it. have to it's laugh, perfect. otherwise you go crazy. Oh, of course, absolutely. So, did you stay in music, or what did um, you? Yes, I. Um, I was. What this kind of did to me is, I felt my judge judgment was a little impaired. I felt like, you know. Do I even know what's good anymore? Do okay. I, you know, are we good? Are my, do I can create something good or what, you know? But I became more like the side guy, the guitar player or the bass player in the band. And I was in Motorcycle Boy, which is a lot of fun. We only right. rehearsed once a week, uh, drank beer at that one time that we, were, that we would drink beer to, before we go on stage. Me, not so much, but the other guys. And it was a fun thing, you know? So I, I got me to play, to have more fun. And it was a lot of reaction right away. That was always flattering when people like you. So, so that's what I was doing. Um, and then um, when that ended... I went to a period where I was always looking in the paper to try to do something, and Vicky Hamilton was helping me with these auditions. Oh, cool. But um, I was kind of rusty as a lead guitar player. I was not on a technical level where people go, oh, hey, this guy's a hot shot, let's get him. You know, so I wouldn't get the audition. And I spent a lot of time just working and being, you know, a lot of despair, you know, mm -hmm. kind of going, I, I would see all these cheese balls get record deals and think, what is going on here? 
but I wasn't about to join a you know Hanoi Rocks, Guns N' Roses sounding band. No way. Okay, because you wanted to be, do your own thing. Kind of, yeah. My taste was changed. I always wanted to play more like pop music, and I, I wasn't gonna do heavy metal anymore. But um, there really wasn't anybody to play with until 1990 when I met the Eden Everly Cat. Okay, so then take us. Uh, so then, did you have like odd jobs and, and just things to support? I was you? working on Melrose. Okay. I still other than that. Okay. Yeah. Um, what about the the video store job? Oh, I never touched on that. 84, Axel. I worked at okay. Tower Video okay. with Axel. Axel, so Axel managed Tower Video. He became the manager did, eventually. Do we know this? Is that is that a, a thing? I don't know if we've discussed it here, but it, did you know this beforehand? Yeah, yeah. He, okay. He, he's talk, he talked about it when he went on uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel. Okay, maybe I missed that part then. Yeah. He didn't force people to rewind their tapes when they dropped. He said he was very lenient with his staff. Okay, because I'm picturing. Um, not Dante from Clerks, but the other one. I don't know why I'm forgetting his name. <laughs> Here comes Randall. He's a berserker. But okay, so was he? So he was your manager? No, no, he had not been promoted yet. He was a clerk like me. Okay. And Rick Akayama was also Rick, Rick Richards was work. He got me the job. Okay. Um, and I would work there the the evening shift, and there was actual. Um, that's when I got to really know him. Like he told me some stories. We spent two days trying to reconcile um, empty video boxes with their proper videos down in the basement. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about uh, his growing up and his influences. And uh, he uh, he one day he said, "I I really hate my voice, but I have to admit it's starting to get better." That's okay. what he said. It was interesting because you know, two years later it was going to be like the the most popular band in LA, <laughs> you know, so. That he hated his voice. He said that. Okay, so anything else that, that stuck, uh, any other story, because you mentioned like his growing up, did he like open up to you? Like was he, a, what kind of well, kid yeah, was he? he? He could, um, we said he got in a lot of trouble and he, he said that he'd been back to Indiana and and uh, I remember this expression that him and his friend were hitchhiking and some farmer was peppered them, which means put rocks in his shotgun and shot at them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I remember that. I remember him saying how um, lyrics in in heavy metal in the early 80s, he said they had become not too significant anymore. And he wanted his lyrics to be more, you know, which, as you can tell, they are. You yeah. Know? And uh, <laughs> a lot of lyrics in heavy metal either about Dungeons and Dragons or about getting laid. You know? so, <laughs> right, yes. Um, for, and the music was good, but the lyrics not. You wouldn't just read them. Right. No, I, I love Ronnie James Dio. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. It's, Dungeons it's all about the night and the fire. Yeah, which is great. <laughs> but yes, yes, I, I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he mentioned he liked Patti Smith a lot, the okay. punk poet and singer. And he even liked uh, Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen, which I was like, come on, man. And he <laughs> goes, no, no, you said to me, to people like me, that song really means something. Mm. What about movies? He, I was just going to talk about that. He loved uh, Scarface. Okay. He told me, look at that movie, man. That guy never took any shit from anybody. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. And he loved Terminator. He was like, you can't stop that guy. You couldn't stop him. So and, before Terminator right. 2, obviously. Okay. Oh, wow. And check this out. He got a hold of a bootleg copy somehow of Prince Purple Rain. Okay. And we went to Raz's apartment and watched it. Okay. And he was totally into that movie. He kept saying to me, look, look what he's about to do. Look at his moves. You know, he was totally into it. 
you could see all the influences of everything you're mentioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Scarface or Prince, you could just kind of see Axel, those influences in him a little bit. You know, movie you really like, this is odd, but a remake of the French New Wave classic Breathless with mm. Richard Gere. And the, and the movie had bombed, uh, but he really liked it to the point when customers would come to entire video and say, boy, that movie is the worst. And he'd go, yeah, to you. <laughs> you <know? God>. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Is this yeah. after recommending the movie to them or something? Or? No, people would come, you know, and then they talk about movies. And um, um, you just, he was the kind that would not... That's, Take shit. You that's know? cool. Yeah. All right. So then let's go up to. I'm glad you didn't forget that story. Thank you, John, for remembering. I'm glad you guys, you know, have mail bonded <laughs> a couple of days to get these stories. Uh, then you, we'll be going up to 1990 then with your bit because I want to catch up to where where you are now. Yes. All right. So then you got back into the music in the 90s. Yeah. Well, I was always looking in trade magazine that was recycled, and there was there's a magazine called Music Connection. That's yes. a little bit more focused than recycled. That's all about music. I saw an ad that said um, the influence. One of them was Rod Stewart and the Faces, which I always liked the face. I always like Rod Stewart yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so well, cool. So I went and met this uh, this kid. He was only twenty two. Um, the addition was insane. He made everybody come at the same time. So it was like, well, who's gonna go first? And he looks around, he looks at me. I went dressed to the nines, all in velvet. I figured, okay, I'm gonna look like a member of the Faces. So I was wearing crushed velvet, you know, for, and I walked in. And he said, come come, to, come with me to my car. And he puts on a cassette. It's a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he, there were so many guitar players he in locks like, one the door. room. Sean oh. <laughs> Wink. Well, I mean, I'm not homophobic or anything. I could have kicked his ass in <laughs> But um, he puts a cassette on and he goes, can you play this? And I'm like, sure. And he goes, can you play by tomorrow night? I thought, holy shit. So I was like, all right, I can. So I went home and I was like, he said, if you don't remember the chord, just play leads. We played a show at Molly Malone. And his manager was there, and suddenly I was in a band. I was in a band. He told me my dad was in the Everly Brothers. So it's like, okay, I go. I made the connection. Oh, this is Aaron's brother, Aaron Everly's brother. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly I was in the band. I was in a band, and we were signed. I mean, I wasn't signed. He was signed by the same A&R guy, Tom Zuta, that okay. signed Guns N' Roses right. and Molly Crew. He was developing Eden to become a recording artist for Geffen. Mm. Uh, when that, after a few months, didn't work out, we were immediately signed, you know, no question asked, but to Hollywood Records, which was this, uh, I think it's still around. It was a, it was a record label owned by, Hol by Disney. So okay. they had tons of cash. They didn't know what to do with it, but they didn't know how to promote bands, really. But they, they even signed Queen, oh, wow. which was awesome. We were like, okay, cool. We're, you know, we're in there. Yeah, same yeah. label. You feel like, yeah, I'm sure you feel like you made it. You know, there was a rumor that we were going to open up for Queen. And again, with the oh. same Shire luck, check this out. We're sitting around rehearsing, and MTV comes on. It's like, oh, turn the sound up. Yeah, Freddie Mercury just died. Oh, my God. So it was like, and no, we are so close that when uh, Brian May, the guitar player, yeah. became also Hollywood record, recording artist, made a solo album, we opened up for him at the Palace in Hollywood okay. and met him. I had a picture, uh, I lost it too, uh, <laughs> of, of, of me with Brian May and the whole band with his arm around us. You no. need to, uh, 
<laughs> Make sure gonna, you hold on to stuff. I was going to download Carry it. Carry around a backpack or something, yeah. man. I know, I know. <laughs> I, it was a music connection. If you can find a back issue, music connection, there was a picture like the label mates, Brian May and he, and I was like, the, the Brian May, you know what happened? He was sound checking. We were right up close. So he looks at it and he goes, this is not a performance. So if you don't have anything to do, piss off. And we're like, he just told us to piss off. We're not worthy. <laughs> you know? It was awesome. That's too funny. I, sw- I swear, it sounds like a lot of these like just sitcom me. Yeah. You know? So I, that's what this is great. I'm, uh, these are awesome stories. I really appreciate. Well, what was the tape that you that, that he played you in the car? That um, was it. His music that he played you, or he it... had an analog eight track at his house. He and... meaning like like w- yeah Ethan. yeah was was that his his, uh, his original originals. music? Okay. His original. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Eden didn't work out, right? Um, we went on tour. And we toured America like crazy, especially the East Coast. We played a lot in upstate New York, in Florida. To the uh, our manager was, uh, I forget their company name, but they managed Frank Sinatra, oh. and their idea was like, we're gonna make you play all the clubs, over and over until you you know build up a following. Unfortunately, when the record deal ran out, the funds ran out, and they sent us back home. But I spent a lot of time on the East Coast. This, that was my first time in New York, 1992. And I would like get on the subway and run everywhere, you know. And uh, they put us in New Jersey so that we wouldn't get into trouble. But we'd take the bus and come into we'd come into Manhattan. You Go know? to New Jersey to stay out of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us the Chris Christie. Well, we were in some yeah. Hollywood Inn somewhere, you know, bored out of our skulls. Sure, sure. And we would just take the bus and come into Manhattan and cause all kinds of shit. All right. So now he, there's another moment for you. Yeah. So then. You know, catch us up again. So what's been, because it's been many years, a few decades, until yeah, 2017. Well, this is, um, uh, finally, uh, 1995, I had had so much life experience, I started actually writing songs with lyrics, and I made my own band, which was a power pop band called Heavenly Bodies. Uh, this band almost, we recorded an entire album, and it never came out. Again, if you want to hear it, it's on MySpace. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and there's one video on YouTube. That was my band. I wrote all the songs and everything. And these guys were cool enough to go, sure, we'll we'll do your songs. We like them. And so for the next two years, I did that. Um, and then just a bunch of odd jobs and bands on the side. You know, I played some cool bands. Uh, there's this band I want to mention because, again, they're one of my favorite bands I've ever been in. And I played the bass with them. Uh, they're now called Zar, T-S-A-R. They got. They were really good with songs and vocals, and they got two record deals in a row after within a span of five years. Unfortunately, no success. They got airplay even. They went on tour opening for Duran Duran. They mm. they went to England, but unfortunately, I don't know why. You know, being the '90s, you know, maybe people are not into as much into. This was before the Strokes and White Stripes, all that. Okay. So they're still going. People that like them are obsessed with them, and they're on. MySpace <laughs> and the whole albums on MySpace. They're, I think their whole first album is on YouTube too. Okay. Really, it really influenced me, especially because I, I only lasted in the band six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, and then 10 years later, I rejoined them and lasted about two weeks. Yeah. It's unfortunate. <laughs> I, I love these people's songs and everything, but they're really nice, kind of uh, well bred guys. And I was a bit of a, Hothead, you know, kind of ang- going to an angry period, and mm. so I was out. But I kept in touch with them, and I, I always b- like everything that they put out. Right on, yeah. right on. So then, take us to where you are now. I want to know what, what's what's going on with you now. Well, we just shy. We just record whenever we want. Uh, well, we, well, I guess what made instead of like a new band, why is the Shire kind of like the well? It was a of, very of unfortunate, tragic 
event that um, Michael Jagos, the, uh, the singers of the Elegance, David's brother, passed away in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, David called in to tell me, and we talked for a long time, and, and he just said, I think we should do Shire again. And his brother had mentioned, why don't you do Shire again? So we were like, okay. And uh, I went to his house, and we, there was this really young drummer there named Andrew. Dave was playing bass, and it was like we had just picked up where we left off. You know, his voice sounds great. He had no wear and tear on his voice whatsoever. He took really good care of it. It sounds better than it did then. Um, this, we recorded a bunch of songs that are on... Not on MySpace, but on Reverb Nation. Okay, I know uh, Lou Playa. I know the, um, yeah, he's so, like the, the head of uh, Reverb. There you go. We, half of them are new, and half of them are way old from what we did at 16. Mm-hmm. So you can hear that. Great. Um, we play some gigs, but L.A. is like, there's, there's hard to find cool places to play now. You either have to buy tickets and sell them in advance, which we did that. It's kind of expensive. Or there's some clubs that are not, they're a little bit out of the way or something. They're not great. So it is not such a rock and roll town anymore. But that didn't stop us. We did the gigs. Mainly, we like to, we have access to, unlimited access to recording. And that's what we want to do. Cool. Yeah. Right on. So we got to get you, MySpace is great. Mm-hmm. But we got to get you on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Spotify. I that's where, that. That's where all the cool kids are right now. Oh, okay, God. Thanks for the mm-hmm. tip. And, <laughs> and and Facebook and all that. Because, I mean, that's what I want to know. That it's, it's so awesome that you're still doing everything that you love and you've had these moments that it's it's more of just you know we mentioned uh the um the, the documentary the the decline of western mm-hmm. civilization it wasn't just like you weren't good enough or you had these false images of what you could be it's just freddie mercury died or it just like these random things that would just like happen yeah, yeah. you know to, to, to that could really derail you but you haven't you said you know you're 52, not to out you again. No but, problem. But you're still doing it, <laughs> yeah. which is just uh, quite incredible. So you're out in L.A. now? Is that where you uh, you live? Pretty much. Okay. So you're just out here hanging out with John? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very yeah, cool. he just called me out of the blue. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm here having a little visit. I'm like, let's get together. Nice. Yeah. Married? Yeah. Kids? No, no. All right. Doing the George Clooney thing? Well, I guess he's married <laughs> now. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Well, the thing about what, he, what we were talking about on the ride down is that, you know, we, thing about him is he's he's lived the experience that all these guys did of, of being a kid because he, he didn't grow up in la and he, he came to la as a, as a, as a young teenager mm-hmm. and like you said you were like living on the street for a while yeah right? i'll be honest i just told him this on the subway um as living on the streets made that seem to make those guys angry and tougher on the inside i was scared i had just come from a place where I live with my grandparents. We ate every night. We had milk and cookies. Suddenly, I was starving, and uh, I was uh, didn't make me into a tough guy. I was like, what am I doing? Mm. And uh, my grandfather would go, hey, why don't you come back? And I was like, no, no, I'm doing good. I'm in a band. And uh, at 16, I was living like an adult. You know, I would go out to clubs, and uh, you know, I didn't indulge in drugs like they did, but I would drink sometimes when it felt like it in moderation. And now, when I look at 16, I think of 16-year-olds, and I think, you punk kids, stay in school. Yeah. You know, some, you think that's really little. That's a kid. It is. It's it a, is. You're not an adult. Mm-hmm. So it kind of freaks me out looking back, you know. 
It was also, I mean, not like I could speak from experience, but it's a different world back then. I I, I don't know if it was... It's got to be that much harder. I mean, how to communicate with people, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. you know, it's not like you had a cell phone or, I mean, no. you were, you know, your your dad didn't know where you were unless you called uh, him, right? I didn't care. Oh, he didn't care. <laughs> well, unless you called somebody from a pay phone, right? I used to, yeah. I make long distance phone calls. In fact, my grandfather was like, who's paying for this? And I'm like, it's collect. He goes, I thought you were paying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's that's uh that's incredible. I mean, because he he saw like the rehearsal studio, um, uh, where, where the Guns N' Roses guys lived. You know, the thing that that Raz talked about a little bit. Oh yeah. You've heard about that, like the storage facility where they all just behind guitar they, center. Yeah, they lived yeah. In, in a in a in a metal facility with a sliding yeah. door. You know, where there's no plumbing or anything. You know, I mean, no, it's, you, it's a, it's a room. You, how do you do that in the heat of L.A.? You know, that's the usually, sun beating down on this. I don't know. That's usually like the scene for one of the Saw movies. That's usually yeah. where well, the traps yeah, are. Listen to the. All you have to do is listen. Learn to live like an animal in the jungle where we play. Yeah. Yeah. This was all in the, and he nailed it. He, if you were like a, a out of from out of town in L.A., you, you couldn't really trust anybody. People would try to take advantage of you. Uh, girls were psychotic and could be vicious. You know, they cheat on you. It was like it could drive you nuts. And in his album, his first album, he nailed the whole experience. Do you, you know? do you feel that same way about uh, when he recorded uh, One in a Million with the, those lyrics? Because that's how uh, John and I feel too. Or, or do you feel? Uh, because now, I mean, it still gets circulated nowadays. That the, the people might assume that they're racist. Uh, who's the, the comedian Eric Andre? I mean, he's a younger comedian. He's like he's a show I'm on. Familiar with him? No. Um, he's a show on Adult Swim. Okay. Uh, I mean, he's he's pretty popular, but he just thinks they're all Guns Roses all racist because of One in a Million because it has the uh, the N word, you know, the F word for gay people. Uh, so, but again, that's painting a picture of what he experienced at the time. And it's a different world, so I don't know. I mean, you couldn't do that song in 2017. You know, It'd be quite a risk. God, you see, that's that's a tough one right there. I mean, I'm not a really angry person. I wouldn't. I personally wouldn't use words like that because, you now these are power words that could really offend people yeah. and get your ass kicked yeah. in a serious way. You know, and but you have to see where he's. He was borderline. And I say this with all due respect, psychotic. You know, he was on the streets, man. When he was working at Tower Video, he slept under a, um, a bench at the Power Burgers, a fast food joint up the street. He's been through some serious shit. Right. You know, so that will do something to you when you're trying to portray it. Just it comes out like vomit, like here it is. Right. You know, you can't control the creative thing and go, okay, I'm going to edit this. You know, it, uh, first thought, best thought, right? Boom. So look at the... Some art is very extreme, like uh, Henry Miller or Chuck, uh, Charles Bukowski. You know, they just, you know, it has been censored, but they just put it out there. And it's like some people are enraged and some people are really inspired and love it. Right. And that's kind of what we talk about here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Get through all the distortion. So mm -hmm. I, I want, before uh, we let you go, I want to get all the places to contact you. I mean, give us your MySpace URL. and we Oh, gotta, my we, God. See, I'm not sure even what URL means, man. I'm really from the 80s. Uh, uh, just the, the website address, basically. Uh, MySpace.com slash... Uh, okay, well, there's a Shire Facebook page. Um, if you put uh, on YouTube uh, Shire Fragile, our song will come out. Uh, uh, Shire EP, the, the EP comes out. Um, MySpace, what was it? I, 
I, I mean, I guess you can. I've just... got these links. I, I'll, I can. Yeah. Them. All right. Sorry, well, man. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's. it's I'm all... not technically well versed. No, it's, it's. Who is nowadays? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm faking it. I think we're actually recording into just a couple of cans right now. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely. Because I want to get. Because I want to share your music. You know, with our listeners, in addition to just meeting you, because I'm meeting you, or at least getting these obviously these great stories about uh-huh. the, the members that we love. So, yeah, we'll get all the links from John. We'll tweet them out. And we got to get you at least a Facebook page or a Twitter page. I have a Facebook page. Oh, you did? Okay. Yes, well, so it's your... uh, G. Peard, A-L-A-N, okay. and my last name, S-A-N-T-A-L-E-S-A. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, so so we want to keep in contact with you. Know what's Absolutely. Going, know, know what's... I, I will add your appetite for distortion. Absolutely. I, I hope so. And you yeah, should yeah. add me personally, too. I will. Right. I will. Because now, officially... Alan is one of the bad apples. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else you uh, you want to get out there as we wrap up uh, episode uh, 29? Well, here it is. MySpace.com slash the music buzz, two Zs, slash music slash songs. I have to say something mm-hmm. about that. Um, when I wrote that song... I I was not in my right mind, and the cor- the chorus is completely ripped off another artist. Oh, and okay. I realized that after I wrote it, we recorded it, like, oh my god, I plagiarized somebody. Uh, okay. So it's a, he sang great on it, and I love the song, jo- but we jo- can't play. Joyride. It. Yeah, we okay. can't play it because it's the chorus is completely lifted from another LA band. Because uh-huh. it, 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 it's a cool song, and then and then your MySpace is uh, Santalesa slash music slash songs. MySpace.com slash Santalesa. Slash music. There's slash some songs. weird demos out there. I put all kinds of shit. Some the sound quality is not great. Um, I was in this band called Shyland Ponies too, where I I attempted to be a vocalist just to give it a shot, and the, uh, some of the recordings came out pretty good. So that's Shyland Ponies the, on MySpace. There's uh, almost everything we ever recorded. Okay. Now I guess the two uh, last quick uh, one comment, one last quick question. You're wearing the Izzy hat though. Yes. <laughs> you, you said you wanted to represent, so you're wearing like the Izzy. What would you call that? It's like, it's like a ball cap. It's a lid. But, yeah, a lid, but they yeah. come in like a newsboy-ish kind of hat. It's yeah, like a, a John Lennon hat or something. John, yeah. Yeah. There he is. Yeah. Uh, also, because you have a, a teardrop tattoo? No, no, God forbid. It's oh, a heart. Oh, it's a heart, because I was like, did you kill somebody? I want to know. I, I don't remember. I have some blackout drinking experiences, <laughs> but I don't think I've ever killed anyone. Okay. <laughs> I want to know, because when you have a face tattoo... Well, it's not. It's very small. Yeah. But still, and even you get your neck going. See, yeah. I only got my arms. What? What's? And, what do you get? What's the? Uh, and you're knocking um, your hand. You know, your well, fingers. my um, this one, my arm is uh, an Italian comic book character from the '60s called Diabolic, and uh, they even made a movie. The Italian director Mario Bava made a, bo- a movie about him called Danger Diabolic. For fans of '60s campy movies, it's like a cult classic. Um, if you don't like camp movies that I don't recommend it but he was a great comic in Italy they have awesome comic books that people don't know about this here uh, and I love them this you have to be 18 to read this and we got it anyway when we were 9 <laughs> and uh, it, it's an awesome character so I got it on my arm very cool, cool. well you and Saint, Saint Elisa Santa Lisa Santa Lisa you are a interesting crazy character bad apple bad apple <laughs> <laughs> bad I wish I had a soundboard wherever I go. I would have no <laughs> friends. <laughs> no friends. You can come back whenever you want. You know, you Thank are you. an awesome guy. Uh, just obviously, just aside from the great stories, just you can you can like sense the vibe. You just have a good personality Thank and a uh, good storyteller. Did not have any trouble understanding you with your 
Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> Top of the morning. <laughs> uh, anything, anything else you uh, want to add? Uh, you know, my no. I mean, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you're you're able to come. You know, you're here in town and you're able to come and do this. It's fantastic. You know, thank and, you. Uh, Thanks yes. for having and, me. Uh, Absolutely. We love in Shire. We love the attention. I mean, we didn't we didn't get enough. You know, so anybody, if you're an artist and you say, I don't care what people think, I, I don't believe that. I mean, I, I care what people think. If, if they don't like it, then I don't care. But <laughs> but if, if they like me, then I'm grateful. I'll, I'll yeah. do anything for them. I'll take them to lunch. Oh, <laughs> sure. I mean, that's what this is about. I said to, you know, I'll kind of end here. That's why I said to John before. I'm like, thank you again, you know, because he's helping me get guests. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, thank our other listeners. We get emails and of suggestions and uh, just you're helping us book this show, you know, in addition to just the work we're doing. So we wow. really appreciate that. So I said to John, thank you for your help. And What's, he's like, you're helping me. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, you know, what, this, this is great for me. I mean, I, I, I love all this. So the, this is know. absolutely great. So I guess if that is it, the conclusion of episode 29 of Appetite for right. Distortion. We got to count down till uh, October 11th. You know? Yeah, and and the other thing I want to say is like I want to I want to see Shire play live. That's what I want. Um, and and uh, I want I want Johnny to uh, to join you for drums, however, if that's possible or not. And I want Izzy Stradlin to play bass. I want a <laughs> I want a, a, a reunion for Shire. I would love you it. You know, if Izzy, you know, I know you would love. I think it that'd be much yeah. cooler, much cooler than uh, than a than an appetite reunion. Crazier um, things have happened mm-hmm. in this world of guest if, appearances. If that ever happens, I promise we're not going to undercut him on his uh, cut right. of the pay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But, he, but he'll have to have a good every rehearsal, though. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah and be on At least time. one. Right. I love it. Yeah. So, uh, so we do have uh, some awesome guests lined up, but we'll you know, uh, have you pay attention to our Twitter and our Facebook for that. Uh, please follow us on at the AFD show on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we're in iHeartRadio, we're in Spreaker, uh, iTunes. Hopefully, we're trying to get on Spotify. You know, tell your friends. We're trying to get bigger and bigger every single episode. So, as far as the next episode of Appetite for Distortion, which I believe will be before I see Guns N' Roses, so uh, on the 11th, um, as Axel Rose once said about Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. You've been listening to the distorted minds of Brando and Scotto. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses on Appetite for Distortion. Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The AFD Show. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>